630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, so what have we learned so far tonight? The uh, high school teams in Glendon not called the pierogies. So there's a, a common miscon- misconception that we have uh, disproven tonight. Blue Jays trailing 7-0 to the Yankees. Bottom of the sixth NBA Finals starting in a few minutes. Cleveland at Golden State. Just seeing John Shannon from Sportsnet here on Twitter saying the NHL's competition committee will meet Sunday in Nashville. Have to think coach's challenge and the definition of offside are high on the agenda. In addition to the NHL and player association reps, GMs Nil, Poyle, Shirelli are joined by Ken Hitchcock, Barry Trotz, and five active players on the committee who are Winnick, Backus, Camilleri, Corey Schneider, and Ron Hainsey. That's from John Shannon on Twitter. Allow me to make a radical suggestion. And again, you can text in and call in and, and call me crazy if you like. Could, what if we just put five fans on the competition committee? Like, you'd have to apply to be on it. You'd have to be, uh, you know, maybe you'd have to be a season ticket holder. You'd have to prove that you can go into these meetings and be, you know, mature and present good points and, and talk appropriately. You know, they wouldn't just put a random angry guy on the committee. But should there not be fans on the NHL competition committee? Now, before you laugh me out of the room, did we not have on this very program two nights ago the president of an indoor football league that lets the fans call the offensive plays through an app on their phone? So is it really that ludicrous for a pro sports team to invite some fans to be on their competition committee and say, I hang out with other fans and I talk to people in person and on social media, and we think this part of the game is crap. And we understand that maybe you as general managers and players say, well, that's just hockey. But we're telling you on mass as fans, we don't like it. Would that be that outrageous? In a day and age where you can literally communicate with somebody instantaneously. I mean, this, this isn't the, the, the 1980s where I, I'd be sitting on, on my, with my dad on the couch, uh, you know, on the farm north of Evansburg, and we'd see something on TV and we'd be like, well, that's a dumb rule, and no one would ever know. Now you can tweet that and maybe find out within seconds that a thousand other people also think that's a dumb rule. I mean, is, is, it, is, it not, is it not prehistoric to exclude the fans from the rulemaking process? Because here's, here's the problem, everybody. Here's, here's why the NHL doesn't think it has to change. Because it is populated by employees who are resistant to change for the most part. And let's face it, not just in pro sports, but in life... Often we are bound by, well, we've always done it that way, right? Some, sometimes change is hard. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to begin the process of it. It's hard to think about it. It's hard, it's hard to embrace it. And, you know, how often do you question something 
hockey or whatever, well, it's always been part of the game. Why do pitchers throw 100-mile-hour fastballs at guys after his teammate hit a home run? Well, that's just how it's done. That's how you enforce A guy celebrates a home run. Next guy's got to get plunked, right? We're, we're, I mean, that's. I mean, you saw the Harper incident with the fight earlier. I mean, this, so so it's populated, and I'm not saying that necessarily is a bad thing, but that can lead to the mentality. Well, we don't change too much because we just can't. We just can't. Well, you can't. So is it is it that ludicrous to include the people who pay the money and watch on TV in the process? But, but again, here's, here's part of the problem. Because the NHL looks at a market like ours and says, well, that market is clearly satisfied. Right? And here's why they say that. And, and don't take this as a criticism because I, I talk to you guys every day and all season long. And your, your passion uh, for the Oilers is incredible. Is, is incredible and you should be complimented endlessly for it. But having said that, the NHL looks at a market like Edmonton where the ticket prices go up when the team moves into a new arena, where those ticket prices then go up again for the playoffs, and then where the secondary market for, the, for those tickets, so people selling them to other fans through sites like StubHub or whatever, are triple the face value for the tickets, and every seat is sold, and every fan is wearing orange and going nuts. And people are filling Ford Hall and having watch parties and going to the rink for away games. So the NHL looks at Edmonton and says, why do we have to change? People are spending a lot of money on tickets, and they're going to a rink showing the game on television just so they can watch it with their fellow fans. So... You know, that, that, I think that's another reason why they're looking and says, well, why do we have to change the game? Look at Edmonton. Look at Calgary. Look at Toronto. Okay, maybe Ottawa is not the best example. But, but a lot of markets are selling every ticket for uh, quite a bit of money. I mean, if I was selling you a product twice a week, say it's not a hockey ticket, whatever, Say, 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 I, say I'm producing a comic book, and I put out two issues a week, and I charge $15 for a comic book, which would be an expensive comic. It's been a while since I collected comics, but I don't think they're up to costing $15. And you told me, man, I don't like this part of the comic. I, I don't like this storyline. I don't like this character. Yet every three days, you came back and willingly gave me $15 for another comic. And then I found out you were taking that comic and selling it to your buddy for $45. I would not take your criticism that seriously. So there's another element to it. Dave Campbell with the Eskimos injury update coming up next on Chad. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right. 7-16 NBA Finals underway, three minutes in. It is uh, Golden State leading Cleveland 4-3, obviously uh, early to give that score. Blue Jays having a rough night. Yankees up 7-0 on the Jays. They are now into the top of the seventh inning. Stanley Cup resuming on Saturday. Game three, Penguins at Nashville. We'll have it for you 6 o'clock here on 6.30, Chad. All right, before we bring in Dave Campbell, we have Brian on the open line, 780-496-0063. Hi, Brian. Hey, Reed. 
I, you know, I think I think the idea of having fans voice their opinion actually has a lot of merit. The only problem is is that the NHL, like you were saying, if people you know continue to buy the tickets to go, you know that when it, the prices increase for these uh, arenas and that, uh, they only look at at the uh, they look at a small scope of the fan base. I believe they don't. They, they, I mean. Probably 75% of the population of Edmonton probably can't even afford to go to an Oilers game. But they watch it on the TV, and, and if, if I think if the fans had more say, they'd probably end up making a hell, heck of a lot more money, too. Because now now the fans have the input, they're, they're being taken seriously, they actually feel they have, you know, have... A say in the game, and uh, and what they're what they're wanting is being taken seriously instead of just what their what their money means to the owners and that. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's a fair point for sure. Brian, did you go in? And, did you do you attend Oilers or Eskimos games yourself? I I can't afford it. Both, I, I both went, teams. I went eh? to one of the Orange Crush games. Yep, because. Five bucks. Hey, you know it, it was great. A, it went to a worthy cause, and uh, and B, five bucks. I could afford it. Right. I mean, now I'm not saying a hockey game should cost five bucks. Right. But uh, you know. But you watched every game, right? Oh uh, well, uh, as many as I could. Yep. You know, I definitely. I would, you know, if I'm in the car, I've always got to tune to Chad. Well, you we... know, listening to the games and that, and and sports talk and that, and. But but the, I don't think the NHL and the Board of Governors actually look at that perspective. It's just it's it's you know what we're getting from from the concessions, what we're getting from the parking, what we're getting from the ticket sales, what we're taking, getting from the merchandise in the store. I mean, I, when I went to the game, I was going to buy a ball cap, forty five bucks for a ball cap. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Jeez. Well, hopefully I, it's know, hopefully it's well it, it, made so it would last a while. But yeah. It just gets to the point where I think the fans don't feel, you know, like, why? it's almost like the government, really. Well, why should we even bother, you know, saying anything? Because nobody's going to take us seriously anyhow. Right. They're going to end up doing what they want to do. Uh, I mean, personally, I, I feel they, they they need to keep, and you and I have had this conversation before on, on, on the air it, about... You know, increasing the goal scoring and that they keep screaming goal scoring's down, but it seems like they try and do everything in their power to stop the to goal stop scoring the goals. from happening. Yeah, you're right, Brian. You know, great he, call. I, I got Dave Campbell staying late here, and I want to get him home to his family okay, to talk about football. But we'll talk again, okay? Absolutely. Have a good night. All right. Tough injury news for the Eskimos today. Dave, thanks for sticking around. How are you doing? Great, Reed. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, though, I think this this news today out of Eskimos training camp is a uh, little concerning. I mean, this is a franchise with an incredible history at linebacker. Kepley, Bass, Pless. Uh, I mean, guys I remember, I, I would throw Grant Carter in there mm-hmm. as, a, as a really good player. Obviously, Mobley, Gass from uh, the 03 and 05 uh, Cup now. teams, and now J.C. Sherrod. And it was hoped Corey Greenwood was going to join that incredible tradition 
but uh, I mean, he's he's gone. He's done. Yeah, out for the year uh, with a torn ACL. Will require will will require surgery. He says it'll take about 13 months for him to fully uh, return and recover rehab from that injury. Heard on Monday during one on one linebacker drills and says it's a drill he's done. You know, all the way back, uh, all the way back into you know his, his youth. A simple little drill, and he heard a pop, and that was it. So he felt at the time this might be pretty serious. And, of course, as an athlete, you're hoping for the best always and trying to stay positive. So, you know, unfortunately, it changes the Eskimos' plan a little bit as far as who plays that position. They won't change ratio because he was an important signing. Um, Dion Lacey leaves for the National Football League. So... And at the time, it was general manager Ed Hervey that made this mm-hmm. uh, made this signing. But they decided, along with uh, Jason Moss, we're going to flip the ratio at the Will linebacker position, which is the weak side linebacker. We're going to change it from American to Canadian. And Corey Greenwood was a big part of that change and was the guy that has played that position with the Toronto Argos. He's He has had injury uh, concerns, missed uh, six games last year, but still had 70 tackles in 12 games. Very impressive. Uh, three-year player in the, with the Kansas City Chiefs as well. So, you know, this is an NFL player coming back to the CFL and has been excellent in the Canadian Football League when he's been healthy. So now that changes things as far as what they do with that spot. They're not going to change ratio, Reed. They're going to keep it as a national spot. They have five national players in behind Corey Greenwood. So wow, okay. They're going to stick with uh, they're going to stick with that national flavor. So Adam Conar has got to be the leading candidate because he's been on the team for what? La- how many years now? Yeah, this is his third, third season year already. Now. Okay. Yep. yep. And he played a bit last year. Yep. He was kind of the main, the first guy to go in. Well, I remember Adam Conar in Fort McMurray. The first preseason game okay. against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and he was a heat-seeking missile out there. He hit everything that moved that was wearing a different colored shirt. And then, unfortunately, he got hurt early in the year. I think he only played four games in 2015. Then last year, he was in and out of the lineup. Only had three defensive tackles all season. That came in the final regular season game against the Argos when the okay. Eskimos were resting players to get ready for the playoffs. And Toronto didn't care. And Toronto <laughs> didn't care at all. Oh, that was... Anyway, bad game. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I think Konar is definitely uh, the, the leading candidate. They do have Blair Smith around, who is also a three-year player, playing mostly on special teams. Very good special teams players. He has uh, 35 tackles in two seasons on special teams. Uh, about uh, you know four or five tackles defensively. You know, so he's played in that spot a little bit before. Uh, so. That's the plan, but I think it's Konar first. That's his job to lose, mm-hmm. and then after that, the options could be you know I mean Arjun Colhoun is here now. He could play corner. Oh, interesting. Okay, he could play corner, and that could flip the ratio there. But that's not the plan at the okay. moment. The plan is keeping the will linebacker spot a national position. All right, is this three years in a row an ACL early in training camp? Uh, this is the third year in a row an injury has knocked a player oh, off. Oh, White the was the Achilles. White was Achilles. Okay. John Ojo last season was Achilles. This is a torn ACL. This is okay, so one ACL and two Achilles, two uh, obviously key guys. Yes. And, and uh, what's up with Ojo, by the way? Is he looking in the NFL still? Well, John Ojo, for some reason... I mean, he was signed by the New York Jets. Yeah. Then a month later, after two practices, was let go. So I wonder if the Achilles injury kind of came back to haunt him. Okay. Uh, There was a reporter, I can't remember his name, but I was searching on Twitter, 
And, um, you know, he suspects that this is someone that covers the Jets on a day-to-day basis, and he suspects the injury is the reason why he got cut. Okay. So John Ojo is all quiet at this point. I do not suspect. I'll say this right now. I, I do I do not breath. think that Ojo will ever come back here. Okay. Interesting. All right. So Greenwood's uh, out for the season. That's the uh, big, bad Eskimos news today. Dave Campbell, producer of this show and our Eskimos uh, color analyst for our broadcast here on 630 Shed joining us. Uh, who else is, is banged up? I know Zil left earlier in the week yep. and people loved what he did over the last third of uh, last season and Ken Dial what's going on with Ken Di- give, give me give me Ken the update Dial. on these two guys you can call him Kendall Lawrence uh, so <laughs> Zilstra first yeah it's a growing injury it was a pre-camp injury so they're just taking their time with him you know it's not he certainly has a spot on the team absolutely you would, you would think. okay absolutely so just nurse him back to health Shamat Chambers uh Left yesterday with a right hamstring injury. Uh, he was pretty upbeat today. Uh, had a chance to talk to him for a couple minutes and didn't seem like it was a serious injury, so more precautionary. You know he's got a spot, so he'll be the okay. starting receiver. So they're not the... pushing anybody that's... No. Okay. Now, Kendall Lawrence. Kendall Lawrence was brought back to be the main punt returner. Okay. He was left... He left uh, practice today. It was right at the end uh, with trainers... And he was limping noticeably on his left leg. So I don't know if that's knee, ankle, foot, whatever. But uh, he doesn't have a spot locked up yet. You know, but I would say he definitely would be in the return game. Um, You know, they got a bunch of, you know, new guys uh, that have looked really good from the receiver standpoint that could be a returner. This is the best group of young receivers I've ever seen at camp, by the way. Oh, really? Eskimos, they've, they've, it's, you know, too long of a list to mention here. Okay, good. But, uh, you know, it's been impressive. So, Kendall Lawrence, I think, would be a little nervous about, you know, mm, wow, his okay. status. Because, remember, he bounced around last year. Yes. Got cut by the Riders. Uh, now, there's some controversy whether the Riders gave him a fair shake or not, but he was cut. Went to Hamilton. Wasn't really a factor. So, he was brought back uh, to help solidify that punt return game. There's a lot of competition around him. So if you're a Kendall Lawrence, you want to get back as soon as you can. All right. Dave Campbell joining us in Inside Sports. The mock game tomorrow. Well, give me the uh, details for fans. And why I went to the mock game last year. Just just what do we expect? How, how intense... Is this who is it important to? The biggest difference, uh, according to Jason Moss today, is the mental part of this exercise. Yes, you're, they're going to make plays, and you're going to see a lot of great plays. We saw them last year. Bryant Mitchell, Bryant Mitchell really was outstanding. Yeah. Was outstanding last year. Um, the biggest difference is there's no script, like there is in, in practice. They will call. The coaches will call plays. So this is a test mentally. Okay. Can the players know? Do they understand what's called? Do they know the alignment? You know, can they go out there and not think and just go and react to what what is called? So that's the biggest difference. So it's going to look a little ugly, like a preseason game at times, and then it's going to look pretty fluid, right? So some players are going to step up and some players are going to, you know, it's going to be exposed to the coaching staff. Oh, maybe they don't quite understand, you know, what's going on here. It doesn't mean there'll be any cuts after this. I mean, this isn't a preseason game. It's a bit of a preseason game, but you know, you're you're more just it's the it's it's the first exam, real big test for this team to see where they're at with the playbook. But okay. you no tackling, 
fans, I believe they can go through gate two. That's where they were able to go through last okay, year. Okay, and it starts at what time? 2.30. 2.30, and then what's going on with Fan Day on Saturday? Fan Day is from 1 to 4 uh, at Commonwealth Stadium, not at Clark. They're going to let you in on the big field. There's going to be beer gardens. There's going to be lots of fun for the family as well. Uh, 1 to 2 will be uh, kind of the time where everyone gathers in. 2 to 3 is a practice. 3 to 4 is the autograph session. You can enter through gates Six and nine, and Morley and I will have a live show from three to four from Fan Day at Commonwealth. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. Mark Letestu, the second leading scorer for the Oilers in the playoffs behind Leon Dreisaitl. Little Def Leppard coming back from commercial. Dave Campbell will fill in me, fill in for me tomorrow night so I can attend the concert. Tesla, then Poison, then Def Leppard. It's going to be beautiful. 734. So you probably saw the story coming out of New York. Mr. Met, the mascot for the New York Mets, gave uh, a fan or group of fans the finger last night. Flipped them the bird. To discuss, we welcome to the show A.J. Mass, who used to be Mr. Met. In the 1990s. AJ, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing fine, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, it's great to talk to you. I, I believe you're the uh, first person on this show who has ever been a uh, Major League Baseball mascot, at least that, that admitted to it, because I think you got, I guess you got to keep your identity secret while you're doing the job. Give, give, me, give me the Coles Notes version first, looking back. Uh, when were you Mr. Met, and how do you go about getting hired for that role? Sure. Well, I was Mr. Met from 1994 through 1997. Um, my case is probably unusual in the fact that there was no mascot uh, before I took over uh, the job. Um, Mr. Met had been around in the 60s, uh, but it was more of a uh, performance piece where they took a guy from the ticket office, put some paper mache around his head, and said he was Mr. Met. That lasted a few years. Uh, it was a different era. We don't even really consider him to be what we would call a mascot today. Um, but in 1994, they decided they were going to bring Mr. Met back uh, in kind of a more modern capacity. Uh, coincidentally, or perhaps not so coincidentally, the Mets had lost 103 games the year before and were the subject of a lot of bad PR because you had Vince Coleman, who had thrown a firecracker in the parking lot in Los Angeles at a game, and you had Brett Sabreken, who was spraying bleach at reporters. They really needed some good PR, and they thought that this would be a way to get family uh, in- involvement. They basically... they also worked with Nickelodeon and opened up a theme park behind Wright Field and I auditioned to be a part of that Uh, after one afternoon of work they said we're bringing the mascot back who wants to do it and three of us stuck around and I fit the suit so I don't think that's the normal path (laughs) you fit the suit all right so so you you locked up so so did you do did you do every game for four years or did you have a a backup or how does how does that work yeah, we had, a, you know, all three of us who did it, uh, who auditioned, uh, were able to do it for a little bit, but it okay. wasn't long before they realized that I was the only one who really had any uh, long-term affinity for the job. So okay. I essentially did every game at home for the next few years, yeah. All right. Now, before we get your reaction to the to the situation that happened a couple of days ago, uh, I mean, mascots are, are fun. You know, you try to interact with kids. But we also know uh, at a pro sporting event, sometimes fans take it a little personally if the team isn't very good. 
Uh, sometimes there's alcohol consumption involved that can change people's behavior, not always for the better. So I, I assume there was a lot of fun with being Mr. Met, but were there some uh, risks and awkward moments that you had to deal with as well? Sure. I mean, you said it. It's, it's the inebriation of the fans. Um, plus, Mr. Met is in a unique situation, I think, in, in terms of mascots, in that the Mets aren't the only team in town. Even in the home stadium, you don't feel 100% safe because um, you got Yankee fans who don't like the Mets, who will go to Mets games because it's baseball. They might be there to see the visiting team, but uh, there's, there's a, an antagonism that exists already in the stadium that you wouldn't get in another uh, ballpark. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, if, if you're dealing with kids, most people back off, and, and well, you know that, that's the rewarding part of it when you're uh, interacting with a, maybe a child who's a little shy and clinging to their parent's leg, and eventually they come over and give you that little high five, and that, that, that's the rewarding moment because you know that's going to stick with the kid for the rest of their life, perhaps. Uh, you know, um, in terms of the drunks, yeah, they're going to be sneaking up behind you. Uh, the thing is, the the mascot is not part of the team, but to the fan, it, it appears the mascot is part of the team. You know, the players aren't hanging out with the mascot after the game in most situations. Uh, the fans see the mascot going on the field and going, oh, he's part of the team. And when the team is losing 7 nothing, uh, it's very easy for them to yell at the players, but it's easier for them to smack the mascot as he walks by the crowd. Uh, you know, right? It, he's amongst them. So it, that's kind of where the abuse comes in. If the team is losing, you get alcohol involved, and kind of the mascot is there and within arm's length. All right, so did you, I mean, I assume as the mascot, you never talk, right? So, but were there still situations you had to bite your tongue or you just get good at turning and walking away, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think you get good at uh, really seeing where a situation just, you prevent it from happening in advance. You see a group of guys who are a little uh, drunk, you don't go that way. You just steer left instead of going right into them. So there's a little bit of that that you learn from experience. But yeah, if you happen to get in a situation like that, you, you can get out of a situation without talking. I mean, you get good enough to be able to to uh, even just the way you move your body, your bodyguard, hopefully you have some handlers or bodyguards with you to help you out. And, the, you know, they're usually pretty good at getting you out of a situation where you are in physical harm. Um, it may not always be fast enough to avoid getting a little shove or a little, but you, you, you hold back. Uh, yeah, mascot code is generally speaking that you do not talk. Uh, there, there have been exceptions to that rule. Uh, you know, Toronto... Uh, when the Blue Jay, uh, B.J. Birdie used to be there, Kevin Shanahan would talk all the time, but he also owned the suit, so he had a little more free reign okay. than the normal mascot who is at the whim of the employer. Okay, uh, A.J. Mass joining us on Inside Sports tonight, former Mr. Met from uh, 1994 to 1997. And so obviously uh, the, the, the other night at City Field, uh, Mr. Met caught on video making an obscene gesture toward a fan. The Mets wound up losing 7-1 to the Brewers. I know there's a lot of people joking, well, how do we know for sure it was his middle finger since he only has four of them, but I think we can... Uh <laughs> You know, it, it seems pretty obvious. <laughs> I mean, just, a little much. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, just when you when you when you heard this story, as somebody who wore that suit, um, do you have sort of a, uh, you, you know, that that whoever was in it just had had taken enough, or that they should have restrained themselves, or do you have some sympathy for the situation? Give us your reaction. My feeling is that probably this person was put in a bad situation and probably shouldn't have been in the costume in the first place. I mean, it 
it's a professional job and it really should be handled by a professional. My understanding of the situation is that there are several people who get placed into the suit on a rotating basis. Um, so that leads me to believe that there's not someone doing it all the time, that it's kind of like a rotating job. Uh, more experience, more you're going to get used to being in the suit and dealing with people. Plus, the way Mr. Met is specifically used now is more of a, uh, there's, there's a section before the game where they hang out and exclusively work with kids. And then there's this going on the field part of the game where they shoot the t-shirt cannons. And that might be a different person. Um, who's there just to pump up the crowd and just to get you know get the adrenaline flowing? And I can understand in a situation where you have your adrenaline flowing and the crowd is screaming and cursing at you. And I can understand why the former might do that. Um, so I have sympathy for them, but I also don't think that's the type of person who should ever be allowed in the costume again. There's just no excuse. Um, you are in this costume to portray a character and to portray the team in a positive light. And no, flipping someone the bird is not the worst thing in the world. Um, but kids are watching. It, 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 it doesn't look good. And it's a headache that you don't need. All right. Well, that's a great perspective. I'll, I'll ask you this before before we uh, wrap up here. What, what's, what's your fondest memory of being Mr. Met? Or at the end of the day, what was the best part of the gig? Well, I think the best part of the gig was kind of the the everyday going through the stadium and interacting with the same people over and over again. Uh, and it really became like a part of their fam the family. You know, it became a part of the tradition and they're going to the ballpark. A lot of season ticket holders uh, would wait for me because they knew my, my course of action and they'd, you know, bring their kid and we'd all do, the, you know, we'd do our secret handshake and then we'd go to the next part. You know, we'd do the secret dance that we do to each other. Um, it really was kind of a fun family feeling that when the mascot leaves, the hardest part is, is that there's never an explanation to these people. So, you know, to the kid who now goes up to Mr. Met after I'm gone and the new Mr. Met is in place and he's not there at that time and he doesn't do the handshake and he doesn't know what's going on, it's very confusing. So it, I think a lot of mascots suffer from that sort of thing where it's like we have these traditions and everything, it becomes part of that going to the ballpark tradition and then suddenly it's, it's yanked away like, you know, Harvey the Hound's tongue being yanked out of his mouth by Craig McTavish. Well, awesome uh, NHL Battle of Alberta reference. That, 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 that's perfect. Uh, AJ, thanks thanks for your insight. This is, this is uh, you know, a very unique story, and obviously you have a, a unique perspective on it. And uh, if people want to check, again, it's AJ Mass, and people can also check out the book. Yes, it's hot in here about some of your uh, mascot adventures as well. AJ, I hope we can do this again. Thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. My pleasure. So there you have it. AJ Mass, now a uh, fantasy sports writer with ESPN. He was Mr. Met. And uh, clearly he thinks the person inside the costume uh, crossed the line and, and should lose the privilege of doing that job. Though, uh, as as you heard, you, you definitely can be the target for some abuse and heckling once you're inside that costume. You can text 63630, the phone number 780-496-0063. Golden State leading Cleveland 35-32, one minute into the second quarter. <laughs> This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Well, two of my favorite things, that guitar intro and Eskimos quarterback Mike Riley. He'll be on the field for the Eskimos mock game tomorrow. 
at 2.30 on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium. Fan day 1-4 to four on Saturday. We'll have a special broadcast from 3-4. to four, Dave Campbell and Morley Scott. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. It is 7.48. We started the show with Grant Fewer, who is back as the honorary chairperson for the Oil Country Classic, which is August 3rd to 6th this year at the Windermere. And one guy who's going to be golfing in that Edmonton's own Will Bateman who joins us tonight from Vancouver. Will, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to talk to you. I know you're uh, you're mid-tournament uh, playing the uh, Freedom 55 Financial Open in Vancouver. Before we get into some other stuff and let fans get to know you a little better, uh, tell me about uh, tell me about your round today and how you feel it went. Um, just you know, just like I, like I've been uh, telling myself, I think it's just a, it's all a learning process, and um, I didn't obviously have my best stuff today, but um, yeah, I, I felt like I actually played better than I scored. Um, kind of been the case as of late, but as long as I can just keep moving forward and uh, focus on hitting that next one in the fairway on one tomorrow, and just see what I can do from there. All right. Well, you know, anybody who golfs even casually knows how big the the mental part of the game is, and you're doing it on a daily basis. So I can already, from that answer, tell how you're uh, working on your focus and, and and already thinking about that first shot tomorrow. How 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 has that developed for you? Because you know, you obviously have incredible physical tools and, and golfing ability. How much time do you spend though on the mental part of your game as opposed to just being on the range and stuff like that? Uh, well, I've always thought it's going to be a never-ending process. Um, I think that uh, golf's, you know, one of the toughest games to play professionally, you know, day in and day out because there are so many ups and downs. And I think the key is just uh, you got to handle the downs as just as good as the ups. Um, I've been working really hard on just, you know, staying positive and, and not getting too down on myself for, you know, a bad hole or, or a bad tournament or a bad round. Um, I got, you know, tons of golf left this year and i'm going to be playing probably upwards of 100 or 200 tournaments and you know in my uh in my career even more than that and um you know so you just gotta gotta keep staying positive you just you just don't know you know when something's gonna click in golf and you know year and a half two years you can be on the pj tour so well, for sure, and I know that's that's your ultimate goal, and that, that'd be awesome to, to get you there. But, uh, tell me about the starts for you, Will. I mean, you're an Edmonton area kid. Um, do you remember falling in love with the uh, – not that you're you're old and you wouldn't be able to remember back that far, but <laughs> tell, do, you, do you remember what made you fall in love in the game or who first put a club in your hands? What's the story there? Yeah, well, I mean, my dad, uh, my dad has been a huge, you know, huge part of my success and huge part of my life for quite a long time. And he got me into it at a young age. And um, I remember playing team sports growing up and I just, I really didn't like the burden on myself that if, you know, if I played bad that day, then I was going to let my teammates down. And um, I think golf is kind of a, you know, it's an individual sport. So um, whether I play bad or or I make a putt on 18 or, or I miss a putt on 18 or lose or win, I think that's, it's um it's good that it's kind of just me out there and, and I can you know blame myself and I've even been trying to work on that it's just you know taking responsibility for the fact that I hit a shot where I hit the shot and you know it's not about a bad break or a bad lie because you know I hit the shot there type of thing <laughs> so um yeah I've just uh I think it's good it's just individually I that, that's kind of why you know I, why I really liked golf what courses did you play growing up or did you have a home course 
Yeah, I actually played multiple. Um, I played a little bit at the uh, the Derrick Golf and Country Club, and and then um, my uh, my dad moved uh, moved out to Blackhawk Golf Club when it opened. Um, and he has a house on on the third hole out there, so um, spent you know lots of time, lots of time at Blackhawk. All right, Will Bateman joining us inside sports on 630. Chad playing on the McKenzie Tour, which for the second straight year includes a stop in Edmonton for the uh, Oil Country Championship. Grant Fuhr uh, uh, once again coming back as the honorary chairperson. What, what does it mean for you to have a, home, a hometown tournament? I mean, regardless of the course, is that nice to just for a week, you don't have to travel, you know, you, you, you know you're going to have the fans support, a little bit of a comfort there, or what's it like having a home tournament? Yeah, obviously quite nice having, you know, um, one tournament in my, you know, it's just a different, it's a different crowd. Um, I just remember last year walking up uh, 18 on the Saturday and Sunday when, you know, there was a fair bit of people in the stands and, you know, they announced everyone, you know, this person from California, that person from Florida, whatever. And, and when they announced that I'm from uh, from Edmonton, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. You know, people are, um, it's a great support group, obviously, you know, when the Edmonton Oilers are playing well, you know, the whole city's behind them. And I feel like, um, you know, if I can just continue to do what I do, um, you know, I'm going to have their support for, you know, hopefully for the rest of my career. Well, I think you'll have that for sure. Uh, you mentioned the Oilers. Were you, did you get to be in Edmonton for any of the playoffs or were you already out on, out on the tour? <laughs> Unfortunately not. No, I um, I was actually rooting for them to win that last game there because then, you know, they would have had, uh, they, they would have been in, you know, still in the playoffs and I could have been, you know, going to a few games. But yeah, unfortunately I was still in Florida at that time. Okay. Uh, give me uh, one more for you here, Will. In terms of a golfer that you look up to or maybe someone uh, inspires you or try to model your game after, do you have a favorite guy, you know, a, a big name that, that you really like? Or is that, uh, is that too broad a question to pick one or two guys? Um, I think it would, you know, it would be, to be honest, a, a tiger. Um, I think that, uh, you know, on the golf course, there's just no better, there's no better athlete. I just don't think there was a better athlete, period. Um, the, the things that he did, the consistency that he showed, um, you know, the mindset he brought to the golf course and, and, you know, he just, he changed the game really. And I think that people, you know, a lot of the time people don't realize that how much tiger actually you know benefited golf and and really changed the game for the better and um you know as 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 a as a person as an athlete i mean it's just um it's it's tiger for sure it it always has been well you can't argue with what he did on the course absolutely will thanks for making time for us i know you're already getting ready for your round tomorrow i I know we're going to talk again uh certainly we'll talk the week of july 31st august 6th for the oil country championship if not sooner thank you so much for your time thanks for having me that is will bateman checking in from vancouver two over par 74 today by the way in the uh, opening round of the freedom 55 financial classic on the mckenzie tour so he'll be trying to bounce back tomorrow always love his uh, uh you know that's a that's a, bi- a big thing for me the mental side of the game how athletes deal with that and uh, will has some good observations on it there as well you also heard from grant fewer tonight he's back as the uh, oil country uh, the chair for the Oil Country Classic, Doug McLean, was on the show from the NHL on Rogers. 
Dave Campbell and AJ Mass. That was a beauty. I got a blog up, by the way, on 630Ched.com. I've tweeted it out. My account is at Reed Wilkins, former Mr. Met, New York Mets mascot, with some of his uh, tales from being a mascot and his reaction to the finger seen around the world. Mr. Met giving a fan the middle finger. You know, uh, I wonder uh, I wonder what uh, what Ryan Jesperson thought of that whole finger issue. That's terrible. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate that. Ryan Jesperson, show 9 to noon every day here on 630 Ted. The studio producer tonight, Kellen Kennedy. Update on the scoreboard. Yankees taking it to the Blue Jays. It is 9-2. End of the eighth inning, so the Blue Jays will, uh, unless they have a dramatic comeback, will not move to 500. Likely will fall to 26 and 28. Still, they've been rallying after that horrible start to the season. Warriors leading the Cavs 43-36. Game one of the NBA Finals. They are halfway through the second quarter. Your scoreboard courtesy of Crystal Glass. Dave Campbell will be hosting the show tomorrow while I attend Def Leppard. Uh, he'll be at the uh, mock game in the afternoon, so he'll have the latest on the Eskimos. Some hockey talk as well to set up game four of the Stanley Cup final or game three of the Stanley Cup final, which will be on Ched Saturday at six. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for listening. Charles Adler tonight is next. Six thirty, Ched. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Ched.